Pursuant to the Fair Use Doctrine of Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, limited use of copyrighted material is permitted for specific purposes such as criticism, comment, news, reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. This podcast is otherwise copyrighted by the Underground Christian Broadcast. Welcome to episode 32 of the Underground Christian Podcast, where the Bible and the 21st century collide head-on in a spectacular display of shock and awe. It bears repeating now and then that the world is controlled not by enterprising minds and political powerhouses, but by Satan. God is the sovereign ruler over the universe, and he may delegate authority downward to whomever he wishes. And it turns out, God decided to delegate the authority to rule the world down to Satan. We know this is the case because God said so in his memoir to humanity, known as the Bible. Now, he didn't tell us why it pleased him to make Satan the ruler of the world, and he didn't tell us what attributes of Satan warranted that delegation of authority, but he did tell us, quite clearly, that Satan rules the world. Jesus confirmed that Satan runs the world in John 14.30, when he said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. It's true that Jesus didn't identify Satan by name, but the context of the section of Scripture makes it clear that he's talking about Satan. In fact, Satan and Jesus both confirm that Satan is in charge of the earth in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, where it quotes Satan speaking to Jesus. Again, it says, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, Jesus is the Son of God, so you would think he would just say something like, The nations aren't yours to give, Satan. I own them. But that's not what Jesus said, because he knew that the nations of the world did belong to Satan in the sense that Satan was the delegated king who rules over them. So instead, Jesus replied, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Satan rules the world, and the world, in response, does his bidding. Today, we understand that the world is the social, economic, political, religious, and military system that has been constructed by Satan to promote his agenda. As this show has demonstrated previously, Satan's agenda is to ultimately establish a single worldwide political system headed by one man whom we know as the Antichrist. After his ascension, Jesus established his church on the earth and declared that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Gates are used to keep invaders out and captives in, and to Satan, the church is little more than an invader that is trying to establish a foothold in his kingdom. Satan tried to keep it out, but just as Jesus predicted, he was not able to do so. Jesus started building his kingdom by rescuing people from Satan's kingdom and bringing them into his own, making them into the church that forms the living body of Christ. Every Christian is therefore an apostate of the world who has been removed from Satan's kingdom and placed within the stronghold of Christ's kingdom in order to bring the entire Satanic kingdom captive to Christ and rescue as many people from Satan as possible. Every Christian is supposed to be trained to infiltrate and sabotage Satan's hostile worldly system using Christ's tactics, protected by the armor of God and wielding the word of God as its weapon. In a nutshell, that's why Christians are so universally reviled and despised by the people who hold and wield power within the global Satanic system that the Bible calls the world. 
Yet, despite all the hate, obedient Christians soldier on. One example of a Christian who soldiered on in Satan's world is Paul Harvey. For those of you who may not be familiar with him, he was an iconic radio personality of the 20th century who gained a nationwide radio audience providing background information to common news stories, which came to be known by the slogan, The Rest of the Story. Early in his rise to stardom, Paul Harvey produced one of the most insightful and prophetic radio broadcasts of the day. The date was April 3, 1965, and the broadcast was titled, If I Were the Devil. It was a Christian plea to a nation that was rapidly falling away from God in a stupor of ignorance and gullibility. Paul Harvey sought to bring the attention of Americans to the direction that America was headed, a direction that was readily discernible by Christians who worked for and under the authority of Jesus Christ, but was opaque to most other people, especially the young adults of the 1960s. It was this generation of the 1960s that openly defied and rebelled against God by deifying sin, unleashing modern occult spiritual practices, and establishing a value system that was fundamentally opposed to God and the traditional American system. Paul Harvey captured the spirit of the moment in his short iconic broadcast in 1965. Let's listen to it. If I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The... So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, You'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct, 
I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. That was 1965. Oh, how things never change, do they? In today's age, the show might be titled If I Were the Devil and Wanted to Destroy Western Civilization, or maybe If I Were Joe Biden and Wanted to Destroy America. One way Joe might do that would be to promote the hypersexualization and pedophilic grooming of children in classrooms across America and label it health education. Woke teachers could encourage children to embrace deviant sexual practices at an increasingly early age in order to turn them into pliable spiritual perverts who reject the order of God and embrace the disorder of gender identity chaos. Take the lipstick off the pig, and that's what we have today. And it is really, really bad. It has to be bad when Christians, Muslims, and Jews come together to form an alliance against the woke mob, especially when they come together in an area of the country where religious tensions and conflicts are common. That place is Dearborn, Michigan. In a 100% fed-up article dated 9-26-22, Patty McMurray reports the following. A huge group of over 800 parents in the predominantly Arab community of Dearborn, Michigan, came together to fight back against the sexualization of our children in public schools. The huge crowd included Muslims, Christians, and Jews who are fed up with the sexualization of their children. Their goal is simple. Protect the children from the radical agenda of educators who allow explicit material on library shelves in public schools that can be accessed by students without consent from their parents. One of the speakers at the event told the crowd, There's a book called This Guy is Gay, and I tell you, if the book was called This Book is Straight, we're still going to go after it because it's teaching kids how to go online and have intercourse with others on the internet. We spoke with Mike Hatcham earlier today. Mr. Hatcham told us the majority of the Muslim population in Dearborn have conservative values and don't want their children being radicalized by woke leftist educators in their children's schools. The Attorney General, Dana Nessel, who is the top law enforcement officer in Michigan, is not going to advocate for families who want to stop the sexualization of their young and innocent children. In fact, Nessel, who is up for re-election in November, has made her position on sexualizing young children crystal clear, calling for a drag queen in every school. This news story is just one tiny sample of the problems that have been unleashed on this country by the culture that was already growing like a malignancy in Paul Harvey's 1960s. Dana Nessel, the Attorney General of Michigan, is a product of that cultural malignancy. She is a big fan, not just of drag queens, but of indoctrinating children into the culture of sin using drag queens. In just one short political speech, she mentioned drag queens ten times. You know what's not a problem for kids who are seeking a good education? Drag queens, okay? Let me say this. Drag queens, not only are they not hurting our kids, drag queens make everything better. Drag queens are fun. Drag queens are entertainment. Um, And you know what I'll say that was totally not poll tested? I say this, a drag queen for every school. I'm not gonna talk about drag queens at all during the course of this speech. 
that was written by a staffer who asked me not to speak about drag queens. I'm sorry, I talked about drag queens for a like, disproportionately long time during the course of, of my speech. Next time you guys put one of these on, maybe uh, a drag queen for some entertainment in between would be a little fun is all I'm saying. So just saying it's a good time. It would be reasonable to conclude that Ms. Nessel is obsessed with these dangerous deviants who are openly trying to pervert our children through sexual conditioning. This is why religious groups that normally have very different agendas have decided to cooperate and get along. They recognize that the 1960s explosion of perversion is poisoning our nation's values and destroying our children. They now perceive a common enemy, and for the sake of their children, they are coming together to fight. The enemy of my enemy is truly my friend. Another way that someone like Joe Biden might destroy America is to advance a philosophy that is openly hostile to the most critical activities that keep America functioning and Americans alive. That kind of philosophy would be most effective if it masqueraded as science so that politicians could declare that science was settled and no one could thereafter examine or contest their claims. One such philosophy declares that climate change will soon destroy the Earth unless we immediately stop all fossil fuel combustion, sequester liquefied carbon in underground containments, and construct an infrastructure of clean energy generation that will service a dramatically reduced human population. An amazing number of political, educational, economic, and military leaders are fully on board with this philosophy. As an example of this support, on August 11, 2022, a climate change summit was held by the Commerce and Industry Association of New Jersey, at which the New Jersey government's environmental master plan was unfurled. Their master plan is like the old Soviet Union's notorious five-year plans, but significantly more destructive. The plan implements a policy to have New Jersey operating on 100% clean energy by the year 2050. That number 2050, along with the number 2030, keep on popping up all over the place, such as the United Nations with their agendas 2030 and 2050. Think that's a coincidence? These two agendas are wordsmithed beautifully to sound progressive and utopian, but what they really do is set enforceable international objectives for the destruction of carbon-based fuel resources everywhere but in China and Russia to be replaced by so-called clean energy. Now, clean energy certainly sounds better than dirty energy, but the basis for claiming that something is clean is not at all clear, at least from a scientific viewpoint. What is clear is that when the globalists refer to dirty energy, they mean anything that is carbon-related, and that's because the philosophical champions of climate change have declared carbon dioxide to be a pollutant, despite it being a naturally occurring gas that is vital for life to exist on the Earth. These philosophers want you to believe that the Earth is warming up because of man-made activities, which are changing the composition of the Earth's atmosphere by increasing the concentration of carbon dioxide. They make this claim because the atmospheric composition of gases has changed by almost 0.005% relative to an arbitrary starting point back in the late 1800s. They say they believe man is causing this enormous 0.005% change because of fundamental scientific principles. Do you know what those principles are? Well, let me explain. If you take a jar of air and put a lid on it, and take another jar of air and add carbon dioxide to the air in the jar and put a lid on it, and place both of them in the sun, 
then the air in the jar with more carbon dioxide will get warmer than the air in the jar with less carbon dioxide. And that is their fundamental scientific principle on which all climate change science is based. And they know human beings are responsible for the excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere because, you know, cars and power plants and stuff. Never do they consider any other factors or influences. So based on their uncontestable claims, governments around the world, except China and Russia, have fallen over themselves, spending their countries bankrupt, paying for solar panels and windmills. When I recently flew over America, I saw lots and lots of windmills. They have spread from coast to coast. So what does a real, independent, uncompromised scientist think about all these windmills? Well, Gemma O'Doherty is an award-winning investigative journalist in Ireland. She interviewed Dr. Michael Connolly, who is currently lead scientist with the Center for Environmental Research and Earth Sciences, otherwise known as CERES, which is also based in Ireland. Just for a little background, Dr. Connolly was educated at University College in Dublin, where he received a BS in chemistry. He then attended Lakehead University in Ontario, Canada, where he received an electronic engineering degree. His final educational stop was at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, where he earned a PhD in spectroscopy, which is the science of light interactions with matter at the atomic scale. So he is a smart guy, and the organization he is at is interested in studying environmental issues. One issue they have studied is the environmental effects of wind turbines. There are a number of known hazards associated with wind turbines that have been recognized for a long time. One of those hazards is that the propeller blades occasionally detach from the rotor and fly off at high velocity and tremendous inertia to land nearby with devastating consequences. The turbines are also prone to catching on fire and burning the massive structures to the ground. The shadows of turbine blades produce light flicker as they rotate, which can cause stress, anxiety, and discomfort in people who are in the flicker zone, so don't encourage anyone to sight one of these things in your neighborhood. The rotating turbine blades also produce an audible hum or drone that's persistent and disturbing to many people. And of course, there are the countless migratory and local birds that are routinely mushed by the turning blades. These physical effects are generally dismissed as unimportant or are otherwise addressed by positioning the turbines in remote areas away from people so they don't notice them. But are there any other environmental effects that these mammoth structures cause that never get addressed? Politicians like Governor Murphy of New Jersey embrace philosophies that force these wind turbines down the throat of law-abiding citizens who must pay for them, even while forcing power-generating companies to dismantle their carbon-based generating stations, all in the name of environmental cleanliness and restoration. So I would think that every tax-paying citizen in New Jersey and elsewhere would demand to know what kind of effect these things have on the environment before making so permanent a change. Maybe a scientist from Ireland can help us out with that. Tonight, I'm going to be talking to a real scientist, somebody who's not bought off by big pharma or big tech, big science, big government. And we're going to be discussing man-made climate change and the fact that the arguments for it do not stack up. So now my guest, who I've had on before, and he's in such demand that it's taken us a while to get him back on. But I know that you really enjoyed his presentation the last time. And Michael Connolly, welcome yeah. back. 
from your intro, I'm looking forward to hear what I have to say myself. <laughs> well, I thought I knew everything there was to know about wind turbines, but you have just told me that actually they can create rain, and I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not something that we we're going to go into right away, but I mean, no. I, I can start there if you want. Well, we um, get it out of the way. We get it out of the way. Okay, well, we... Because this is man-made climate we, change we, by we, the globalists. Yes, yeah, what you can see there. What, what we did was we wrote a paper there uh, and looking at the effects of all of the different energies and how they have on the environment. Now, at the moment... Uh, about 3% of the energy that we use comes from renewables, 1% from solar pan panels and 2% from wind turbines. Um, but nobody seemed to have bothered looking at what the environmental impact was on, of renewables on the environment. We've looked at the effect of coal on the environment. We've looked at the effects of... Uh, Gas. Any one of them uh, on oil. the environment, but oil, whatever it is. But nobody has seemed to look and consider what is the environmental impact of of these renewables on the environment. And it turns out that they it was a total, not a total surprise, but there are actually no clean energies. You're here all the time that these wind turbines are a clean source of energy. And it's just not true. What, here, what are we looking at here, Michael? Just what you're looking at here is these are wind turbines out in the North Sea, just off uh, Denmark. Uh, and what you can see is that on the lee side, that's the one down from the wind, you can see all of these clouds and rain forming. Uh, and uh, that is an effect that the wind turbines have. The whole idea behind a wind turbine is to take energy out of the wind. Now, if you take energy out of the wind, it cools down. And if it's, uh, uh, if it's saturated with water vapor, then it's going to start uh, condensing out. So what you're seeing is there is the air condensing out on the wind side, lee side of the wind farms. So this can cause flash flooding in places. Uh, you could see, for example, uh, there are a number of cases in Ireland where uh, the wind turbines have caused flash flooding. Yeah, we, we, we spoke about the Galway case, which was very well known. It was it caused a mudslide because they built it on top of a bog, which is absolute criminality. Well, but do, I hadn't heard about Letterkenny. A lot, a lot of these wind turbines are put on the top of mountains. Yeah. And when the normally in a mountain, when the wind comes towards the mountain, the wind starts to rise up to get over the mountain. As it rises up, it gets colder because for every uh kilometer you rise up you lose about six and a half degrees centigrade in temperature so it drops down so normally when the wind rises up at a a, a a mountain it it uh it produces um rain and then when it's coming down the far side of the mountain it produces uh, or it gets dry so the dry sides of the lee side of mountains from prevailing winds tend to be drier but if you put wind turbines up on the side of on the top of the mountains, that causes precipitation. And so you can get flash flooding on the opposite side of the mountain that used to never occur before until you had the wind turbines there. But um, it's not just the, it's not just the, the, the rain that it causes. The idea behind these wind turbines, they say, is it's a clean form of energy trying, going to get rid of carbon dioxide. Now, I don't have a problem with carbon dioxide, but if you did have a problem 
putting wind turbines there is not going to solve it because a study that was done in Texas looking using the satellites to monitor the temperature on the lee side of the wind turbines in Texas found that the wind turbines were, because of the turbulent effect, were mixing the cold air uh, at the ground level at night with the warm air from up above it and were heating up the ground and heating it up by about a degree over a period of about 10 years. Now, that may not seem a whole lot to you, or its significance might not sink in. But if you heat the ground by uh, one degree, cold-blooded creatures like bacteria, uh, worms, insects, all of these things that are decomposing the ground, the organic material in the ground, heat them by one degree, and you increase their metabolic rate by 14%. Uh, And that has the effect of meaning that they produce more carbon dioxide. So these wind turbines heat the ground on the lee side, cause the bacteria and so on to increase uh, their their metabolism, and they produce more natural carbon dioxide. So, okay, you may not be producing the carbon dioxide for burning the fossil fuels, but you are producing the carbon. They do produce the carbon dioxide by the creatures in the ground burning the fuel there for their own life. You see, science isn't always as straightforward and unidirectional as many philosophers and propagandists would have us believe. The natural environment is an incredibly complex and dynamic place with multiple feedback mechanisms that are difficult to anticipate, harder to quantify, and sometimes impossible to properly evaluate. And I know this because I'm an environmental geologist. Environmental science is heavily dependent on empirical evidence, which means observational information as opposed to theoretical modeling. Everyone loves to talk about models as if they are the panacea of scientific certainty. But in actuality, models are just imperfect representations of what a modeler thinks is going to happen in the real world. Few environmental models are accurate outside a narrow band of parameters over a very limited amount of time. Models work well in the mechanical world, where mechanical engineers design machines that work reliably because the variables they need to control are few and well-defined. A natural environment, on the other hand, has countless uncontrollable variables and is therefore notoriously difficult to model accurately. Usually, the best that can be done in a real environment is to approximate reality. Approximately. The reason that weather forecasts are not more reliable than they are is that the number of variables that affect the weather are enormous and make themselves felt over relatively small distances and equally short intervals of time. Small deviations can produce large effects. Weather is hard to model, but climate is vastly harder. It is an extremely complex system that cannot be predicted accurately for more than a few months using any known models or computing systems. So it's extremely arrogant for a politician, even when backed by their favorite paid scientists, to claim that they have cornered the market on knowledge. It's outrageous for them to compel, at the point of arms, the rest of society to accept whatever harebrained scheme they think is going to solve whatever problem they have defined. That isn't science. It's dogma and the domain of philosophers, tyrants, and propagandists who are the true believers of these stories. A lot of them actually do believe the message that they're, they're given. You know, they, what you've got to realize is that propaganda works. You know, that, that's the whole know. <laughs> If you, if you keep know. playing this message to somebody all the time and yeah. that's all they hear, then that's what they will believe. If you go into the schools and teach them this sort of stuff 
And in fact, the, the Green Schools programme here in Ireland, which is mainly funded through money that is funds through Antashka and that sort of thing, uh, that, that is the model there is to go and give this information, this sort of narrative that supports their thing. It's, it's all about selling your story, selling your uh, thing. Oh, the story. You've always right again. It's about the stories we tell ourselves, and the stories don't have to be right. They just need to be effective. And, and don't, uh, I am selling my particular story, so don't believe me. Don't take it on, on my word. Don't take anything on anybody's word. The motto of the Royal Society, which was the first scientific society, was on no man's word. Don't take someone's word for it. Go and check it out yourself. He is a wise man, this Dr. Connolly, but I believe the Bible beat the Royal Society to the punchline of on no man's word. Doesn't it say somewhere in the New Testament that the wise Bereans searched the scriptures to see if the information the new Christians were telling them was true? Well, you can't get much more authoritative than the word of God, and the Bereans searched it to ground truth what they were being told. They checked it out. Checking things out, though, takes time. And few people today want to devote much time to actually learning about things and checking them out. It's much easier and safer for them to simply appeal to authority to tell them the truth, especially when the version of truth they are told tickles their ears and makes them feel empowered and important. Empowerment encourages them to not only believe the lies, but embrace the lies and act on behalf of the liars. As I have said in past episodes, We are engaged in a great war, even though most people have not recognized yet that we are at war. It isn't that they can't know we're at war, but they choose not to know it. Why? Either because they have believed the lies, or they dread the fear and anxiety that understanding the truth will inevitably bring. It's called cognitive dissonance. Dissonance is an interaction of two waves in a destructive pattern. Rather than fitting together harmoniously, dissonance produces an unpleasant and extremely irritating contrast. Cognitive dissonance produces intellectual conflicts which are uncomfortable and unsettling and which induce many people to resolve them in a way that produces a more comfortable state of mind. Being told that we have been force-fed a bioweapon by the government will usually produce cognitive dissonance because the average person has been conditioned to expect that the government leaders are there to help us and that health officials want to make our lives better. Resolving the cognitive dissonance correctly would require the person to believe that government leaders may be trying to harm us, and that health officials may be working with them to damage or end our lives. It is so monstrous a thought that many people cannot and will not accept it. It is much easier and psychologically more comforting to believe that the vaccines were made to protect us that the pharmaceutical companies are run by the best and brightest minds who embrace truth, righteousness, and compassion, and that government leaders are here to help save us. The stealthiness of this war that is being waged helps alleviate cognitive dissonance by keeping the weapons hidden and disguised. Yet it is still a war that is designed to do what all wars do. Kill people, break things, and destabilize the existing government so that it can be replaced by another government. This time, however, the war is not just about destabilizing and replacing one or two other governments. It is about destabilizing and replacing all governments everywhere. 
The first phase of the war is designed to reduce the human population to a manageable size, and the second phase is designed to capture the remaining population to make them into a slave class. The global leaders intend to experiment on their slaves to perfect certain transhuman technologies that they will then adopt to make themselves into a race of superhumans with godlike abilities. In the meantime, the deployed stealth weapons system will give them the ability to control and direct the slaves with little to no risk of rebellion or retaliation. Does this sound familiar? It's a variant and repeat of the Nazi eugenics ideals, but this time the eugenics program is being supported by modern updated medical and technological advances. The heart of all these technologies and the central feature that enables the elitists to grab tyrannical power are the bioweapon shots that masquerade as vaccines. Many independent researchers are doing a great deal of work investigating these bioweapons, and they have made a number of important and disturbing discoveries since I first aired episode 1 of this series. In that first broadcast, I laid out the basis by which people who have no technological expertise should have been alerted to a danger that lay in these shots by the behavior of the world governments. We had enough to go on, even though government and private leaders who plotted and planned a worldwide takedown of humanity had an enormous initial advantage. They had the advantage of surprise, since no one was expecting a takedown, even though politicians had been advertising their desire to subjugate humanity since the days of George Bush Sr. They had the advantage of money, since governments and their banking allies control all the monetary resources of the world. They had the advantage of technological industries who produce the weapons they intended to deploy. They had the advantage of a supportive mainstream media who gleefully propagandize on behalf of the elitist leaders and their eugenics operations since they are enormously enriched in the process. They had the advantage of military support through the military funding of bioweapons research, and the military had the ability to cloak such research in absolute secrecy, and they were willing to help deploy the weapons against the citizens of each nation. They had the advantage of knowing what they were doing while we were kept in the dark, and they had the luxury of picking the times and places where they wanted to unleash ever newer and more exotic weapons on the world. So we were forced to play catch-up, but fortunately, the good people in the world have some allies of their own, especially the allies in the medical and research world who can look at these weapons and assess what they are for and how they function. One such person who has been at the forefront of unmasking this nefarious weapon system is Karen Kingston, who was interviewed recently by Lauren Witzke, one of the many people fighting the governmental authorities and media censors to get the word out about the bioweapons to as many people as will listen. Karen Kingston is a business and strategic analyst from the biotech industry, with 20 years' experience in communications and marketing of pharmaceutical products. She's an insider who has come out to warn the world about what these companies are doing. Let's hear a little bit of this interview. La Quinta Columna has, for the last few weeks, we've been seeing a lot come out of their studies. Uh, I think the most recent that we have seen is probably the most concerning. We've known for about a year now that graphene oxide is contained in the vaccine, but I think the most concerning thing that we have found recently from La Quinta's findings is that when it is um, the vaccine is around electromagnetic waves, it does react into self-assembling nanotubes. Here to discuss that with us today is Karen Kingston. Welcome, Karen. 
Thanks for having me, Lauren. And, and thank you for sharing that um, just incredible research that La Quinta Colombia has done. It is truly groundbreaking in our battle against this uh, bioweapon attack, transhuman, transhumanism attack on the American people and the globe. And it substantiates everything that I've been sharing on the Stu Peter show for over a year now from all the patents, as well as what other doctors like Dr. Carrie Madej and Adriana Love and Dr. Jane Ruby have shared. So it, it, it really is groundbreaking evidence that I hope and pray is brought into all of the lawsuits uh, that shows the dangers of these injections combined with the danger of radio frequencies such as those that can come from cell phone towers, 5G, and potentially even our own phones. All right, so in this particular study, they did use electromagnetic waves um, in uh, up against the Pfizer vial of vaccination or of the vaccine. Um, now, Karen, what are we looking at here? So what you're looking at is called single-walled carbon nanotubes, SWCTNs for the patent, that use a technology called teslapheresis and genetically engineered hydrogel, which is under the quantum dot technology. And this is based on, uh, per the patents, the Bohr particle, which is based on frequencies. So when certain frequencies are given, the uh, genetically engineered hydrogel and the graphene oxide nanotubes begin self-assembly. Um, and that, that is what you're looking at. For those who are not up to speed on what is in these shots, they all contain the same basic ingredients. They contain trillions of packets of mRNA that are designed to infiltrate the human genome and insert themselves into our genes, thereby changing human beings at the genetic level. Altering our genetic code does several things, but those things are not the subject of this discussion. Every shot contains hydrogel, which is a patented material that encases the mRNA packets and protects them until they can be delivered to the target cells. The hydrogels are made from graphene oxide, an artificial material that has a wide range of electrical and other properties. And all the shots contain polyethylene glycol, or PEG, which is associated with nano-sized particles in the shots. There's a video that people can look up on the Rice Institute that they look up teslapheresis. This is essentially a version of it. So you're looking at a advanced artificial intelligent technology that is receiving electromagnetic signal, signals to uh, self-amplify and, and build out. Once the genetic packets are deployed, the protective graphene oxide coating is used for other purposes. They are discussing the ability of the graphene oxide to self-assemble under the influence of electromagnetic fields, or EMF. One of the frequencies that is best able to cause the graphene oxide to self-assemble occurs in the microwave range, the same range that's used by cell phones, cell towers, and routers. These materials are able, under the influence of EMF, to self-assemble within the bloodstream inside the human body, forming solid materials that range up to visual size and include many shapes from cubes to tubes. And with, according to the genetic, genetically engineered hydrogel patents and literature, it actually can use calcium in our body to further um, produce these, these tubes that we're looking at. Now, uh, is that and, what and these... Dr. Jane possibly found with uh, the embalmer Richard Hirschman? You said it, calcium deposits, and I know they're finding white fibrous clots. Is this related in any way? 
It is, and I've also been in discussion with Mike Adams about the, those clots that Dr. Jane Ruby brought to the attention of the globe. These would be the blood clots that embalmers are pulling out of dead people's veins. They aren't really blood clots, but are a synthetic material that is assembling itself inside the bodies of people. Initially, they look like a huge blood clot because they are covered with blood, but when cleaned, they look nothing like a blood clot. Chemical analysis by Mike Adams has shown that these structures are not made of blood, but are a synthetic material that has not previously been extracted from human beings. In the patent, there's some further definition and explanation of what those biosynthetic materials are, as well as chelation treatments. So chelation is a way to actually dissolve and remove these clots. And Mike Adams is currently experimenting on uh, with a few uh, chemicals uh, that would be safe uh, for, for injection in the human body that may work on these. But yeah, the, this, is, this is essentially a version of what Dr. Jane Ruby's um, embalmers had found. It's certainly a version of it. So we're looking at nano size. And as you look at the patents, they, they grow from nano size to micrometers to uh, millimeters to centimeters. And, this is and some scary so stuff. I can't believe, I can't believe that they pushed this on us. They put push this on children. They force people to get this experimental jab, you know, and look at what it's doing in the body. And it's reacting to electromagnetic fields. Like I'm, not, I'm no expert at this. I don't know what I'm really looking at. Um, however, I know that you have brought patent, patents after patent after patent um, and the receipts to kind of back this up. And they try to convince us that what we're seeing isn't real, but it is. Here it is. It's right there. Um, you know, another thing that they tried to convince us wasn't real. I wanted to share this video with you. It's actually a video of my grandmother. So she got the Moderna shot. Uh, this was early on uh, during the rollout. And, you know, I love my grandmother. She's, I'm a grandma's girl personally. And, you know, I, I'm more so angry about what they have done. But what they try to tell us is that, you know, oh, your arm isn't magnetic. This isn't real. What you're seeing is not real. However, I tried it on my grandmother about, I, it was three weeks after her Moderna shot. And um, it ended up being uh, a magnet. Uh, to a bobby pin that I had. And it wasn't like she had sticky skin or anything like that. There was yeah. a pull and it stuck right to her arm. And there, it, you, it like just stood right there. And I, I was like, there is a pull there. There is a magnetic pull there. I'm not crazy. This is real. What have they done to my grandmother, let alone the rest of the population? And you know, it's scary because they're doing this we're watching as these self-assembling circuits are assembling themselves around electric magnetic fields. And I mean, there's all this talk of transhumanism uh, with Joe Biden. You know, what is the end goal here, Karen? Now, if you find this all hard to believe, that is cognitive dissonance. If it seems like these women must be crazy or are just looking for views, that is your mind trying to reconcile the cognitive dissonance. These women and others have in fact been viciously attacked and threatened just for fighting to bring out the truth about these weapons. And these two women are just a small sample of the thousands of people around the world who are trying to decipher the details of all this biotechnology while we still have the time and the ability to decipher it. What is the end goal here, Karen? Yeah, I mean, the, the end goal is, is what they've been telling us. It's depopulation, right? Mm -hmm. And enslavement of the American people. And, you know, Stu and I talked about this last year. 
um, where, you know, he said, well, basically the vaccines are an enslavement platform. And, and as I, I agreed with him, but I said, but for those who don't obey, it's an execution platform as well. So because people are being injected with these um, artificial intelligence, advanced technologies that can send and receive signals that can literally build things out in your body as you're seeing under the microscope there, they're targeted also to cross the blood brain barrier. And so that becomes a neural weapon. Uh, and that neural weapon can be used, yes, to induce a, a stroke in somebody, um, but it can also change someone's emotions and behaviors. And, you know, James Giordano, who works at Georgetown University, he's an expert in neural weapons and neuroethics. He began working with Obama in 2008 on the Brain Initiative. He gives dozens and dozens of seminars at uh, West Point and the U.S. Naval Com uh, Academy, um, also with the intelligence community, explaining how you can use nanotechnology to change a person's per, change a person's personality or to execute them from a distance using optics, which are our uh, light signals. So you know this is and, and La Quinta Colombia has now shown us you can't deny your eyes. I mean he, they've shown us the evidence from Pfizer's vials. This is self some assembling self amplifying graphene oxide based technology that's been injected into the human body. This is more than just mRNA. It's more than just the, the, the gene editing, which is horrific and, and blasphemous enough. This is a way to uh, control the global population. And, and Americans and the global population need to say enough is enough. It needs to be stopped. Nobody was informed they were injected with this technology. Nobody. There is no reason why any of these vaccines should still be available in any country in the world. They should all be immediately recalled. And, and I'm, I'm very disappointed in, you know, there's, there's leaders and people who actually are inventors of mRNA, you know, who have been on the forefront talking about these injections, yet they failed to tell the American people the risks of the pegylated lipid nanoparticles that were in here, the polyethylene glycol, that the mRNA can never be delivered without PEG, and PEG can contain whatever it wants, Plus the fact in many studies, it has a 10% or higher myocarditis rate. So it, it's, it, you know, the grounds to recall on that alone is right there, you know? And, and I am not a scientist, I am not a doctor, and I can find this information right. and bring it forward. You yeah, know, well, I, I know can, you have brought a lot. I can substantiate everything La Quinta Columbia is, you know, is seeing. I can go and I can then do the research and, and substantiate, look, this is what they're seeing. It's in the patents. It's in these publications. You know, why? Where are the attorneys? Where is our military? Where is, you know, why aren't we moving forward with this? Why are we pretending that somehow or another Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson and Moderna have a shield that they can commit crimes against humanity against the global population? because of laws or contracts that were passed by our governments that we never approved of. Those entities have been captured, Karen, which is how the globalist cabal can do this. She should listen to episode 22. There is no longer a legitimate functioning government to come to the rescue of the regular people. The government has become the enemy and we are on our own, except that God is also on our side, of course. 
Nobody agreed to this. Nobody agreed to this. Um, nobody was uh, given con like awareness of what exactly was in this thing. And they pushed it on us. Not only did they say, hey, it's available for you to take uh, and propagandize us into thinking it was safe and effective. Uh, they also, you know, mandated it for people like, you know, they mandated it for kids going to college. You know, if you want to play sports, you have to get this what we're looking at right now injected in your body. It's crimes against humanity. It's evil. It's basically, I think it's demonic. It's so demonic uh, what they're doing. Oh, it's absolutely demonic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this I mean, is not, this is like I, demonic technology right here. Some of the world is waking up to what is really going on. And it is demonic. It is deeply demonic. Our government leaders have forced people or tried to force people to take a substance that no one outside of the cabal knew what was in it, that had no warnings on it, but does include a giant warnings insert in every box that was intentionally left blank. It is the first gene editing vaccine ever approved for human use because all the others produced horrendous side effects, and it was approved without proper testing, without independent evaluations, getting not only a free pass by government to administer it to everyone in the world, but financial rewards to do so. It was the perfect weapon to wield at a distance. It, it absolutely is demonic. This is not of God's world. This is of people who are playing God and their God, who is Satan. That is what this is. This is no longer a fight for our freedoms. This is no longer a fight just about our health sovereignty. This is literally a fight to preserve the human race at this point. People don't understand. This is the convergence of artificial intelligence in the human body. It's right there in front of your eyes to see, right? You can see these self-amplifying, self-assembling technologies that are growing inside human bodies that can conduct electromagnetic fields. And as they do that, one of the side effects is death. One of the many. I mean, you know, they're yeah. trying to normalize now uh, myocarditis in children. Like, it's completely normal. Like, this is like, oh, this has always happened. You just didn't know about it. You know, the greatest psyop of all time. And those who did not get the vaccine, I want to commend you because you did survive the greatest psyop of all time. Everybody was in on it. Everybody told you to take it and you still held strong. Thanks to freedom fighters like Karen Kingston, who did her research. I mean, you literally, all you did was read the government patents. You had read the studies that were done and, you know, as a result, revealed their intentions uh, that they had for us, which are not good intentions, by the way. These people do not have your best interest in mind. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of experts out there um, who are intentionally leading people astray. Um, you know, they intentionally tell lies and or gatekeep to keep true information out. But that's how our enemy works. That's how Satan works. You know, he always uses a little bit of truth and to cover up a big lie and that's what he does it's just exactly. one of his uh, str strategies per se and we're seeing the same thing um, going on even now with the quote-unquote experts where they take a little bit of truth and they blow it up into a big lie or they you know hide a big lie i couldn't have said it any better but there's still more this material self-assembles into structures including micro circuits under the influence of emf it scavenges building materials from the bloodstream to build structures that are larger than the starting components. It emits an identifying signal under the influence of EMF, and the governments of the world, particularly the Western world, have undertaken the construction of a 5G communication system to communicate with these structures, 
a system that is unprecedented in its size, scale, and cost, with estimates into the trillions of dollars for the full implementation of the 5G system. Communication circuits are being embedded in every imaginable electronic and mechanical device to make the world a massive interconnected network of things, and one of those things are human beings. The 5G network is not being constructed so you can download movies faster. It was not rolled out at breakneck speed during the lockdown of COVID, with towers and local transmitters sprouting all over the cities and countryside to help entertain us. It was rolled out because it's part of the weapon system that will be used to control or kill us. How extensive was this rollout? Well, listen to what former Obama FCC chairman Tom Wheeler had to say about it. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the National Press Club Federal Communications Commission Chairman Tom Wheeler. It's an honor uh, to be here um, at the National Press Club. The first generation wireless 1G was voice. The second generation 2G allowed both talk and text third generation, 3G, the internet, in a limited way. And today's technology, 4G, completed that digital migration. But if anyone tells you that they know the details of what 5G is going to become, run the other way. Yeah, because it's not at all about downloading movies. Yes, 5G will connect the internet of everything. If something can be connected, it will be connected in the 5G world. Hundreds of billions of microchips connected in products from pill bottles to plant waterers requiring massive deployment of small cells. We won't wait for the standards. Now to make this work, five, the 5G build-out is going to be very infrastructure intensive. We must reject the notion that the 5G future will be the sole provenance of urban areas. The 5G revolution will touch all corners, and that's damn important. The interconnected world of the future will be the result of decisions we must make today. They aren't connecting plant pots to the internet because they care about plant pots. This is the construction of a total surveillance system of everything. They want to know everything you do, everywhere you go, every item you touch, so that they can control, reward, and penalize you with no opt-out, no escape, and nowhere to run, and no one to turn to. And to do all this, they need to surveil you and me from inside our bodies. That is why they were so frantic to get everyone jabbed as quickly as possible. The 5G microwave system is the tool by which total control will be exerted over all of humanity, or at least the part of humanity that survives the takedown. The 5G system itself is highly toxic and dangerous, as has been testified by numerous well-credentialed individuals in front of congressional committees, as we are about to hear. I'm Sharon Goldberg. I'm an internal medicine physician. I've practiced medicine for 21 years, and my background is mostly academic, internal medicine, hospital-based, clinical research, and medical education. 
I'm a certified Microsoft Small Business Specialist. I worked on Space Station designing the cabling system for the airlock module, where I was responsible for EMI, EMC analysis, which is electromagnetic interference, electromagnetic compatibility. I am a professor in the Department of Epidemiology, Biostatistics, and Occupational Health, and I teach there both toxicology and health effects of electromagnetic radiation. My name is Daphne Tachover, and I'm the founder of an organization called We Are The Evidence. Uh, we are an organization that represents the many adults and unfortunately many children who have become very sick from wireless technology radiation. There seems to be a couple false Easter eggs being put out there right now. I want to make sure we dispel that right off the gate. The effects of wireless on health scientifically are very, very clear. So it's always pushed back to the definition of an acceptable level of radiation. And that's what this is, by the way. This is about radiation. Wireless radiation has biological effects, period. My name is Dr. Angie Kolbeck. I've been reviewing the studies showing the impacts of wireless radiation on our health, and there are now thousands of studies showing the following adverse health impacts to wireless radiation. Cancer, oxidative damage, DNA damage, DNA failure. Things like you know, memory, uh, dizziness, anxiety, brain fog. Headaches, nosebleeds, cognitive problem, exhaustion. We have evidence of DNA damage, cardiomyopathy, which is the precursor of congestive heart failure. Short and long-term memory loss, decreased attention spans, lower reaction times, um, even involuntary contractions of muscles causing misalignments of spines and jaws. Breast cancer. We suddenly have breast cancer in women who have no DNA predisposition. Disrupted immune function and change in stress proteins. Reproductive and fertility effects. There are dozens and dozens of studies that show beyond any doubt what this uh, radiation is doing to our sperm. Now, if you take this, the, the cell phone out of your pocket, the sperm will recuperate within three to four months. What would not recuperate would be the damage to the DNA of the sperm. That is irreparable. The wife of the ex-governor of, of Indiana was diagnosed with glioblastoma. Same brain tumor Ted Kennedy have and John McCain had. Did you look at John McCain's car? This is a cell phone brain tumor. Um, LeBron James, one of our sports people, had a salivary gland tumor. That is another cell phone uh, uh, tumor. You didn't hear about it because immediately after that was discovered, he would pay, was paid by Samsung to become their spokesperson. We are seeing increases in, in brain tumors. Uh, we're seeing increases in Alzheimer's. We're seeing increases in uh, all of the neurotransmitter diseases, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, Parkinson's. These are all disease systems that are known to be associated with low-level energy exposures. We're talking about 24-7, around-the-clock exposure, whatever you are and your whole body. You never get away from it. And it seems from our studies that maybe your immune system can cope with it for a time, but it will deteriorate. Then the irradiation will definitely damage cells at a deeper level. And the question is, what will then happen? These are out of peer-reviewed papers. So these are not just hypochondriacs thinking that they're doing it. We're having real problems with this. This is no longer a subject for debate when you look at PubMed and the peer-reviewed literature. These effects are seen in all life forms, plants, animals, insects, microbes. So 5G is not a conversation about whether or not these biological effects exist. They clearly do. 
There is scientifically evidence that is so strong that you can be certain that the standards used by the SCC to manage health effects are wrong. We need to start measuring how much radiation are people being exposed to before we roll out 5G. There are four kinds of electromagnetic fields that we know are harmful to human health. So radio frequency radiation, magnetic fields, dirty electricity, and electric fields, okay? Our exposure, any given person, and all humans are affected by EMFs. What is our exposure in a, in a day? It's not one cell phone. It's cell phones, it's multiple wireless networks, it's smart meters, it's cell towers. It's this sandwich and it all adds up. The data we're gonna look at are all published science, testing results, or public standards. At the bottom end of the radiation scale of what's called power density or signal strength is the minimum level at which cell phones will work which was found to be 0.2 billionths of a microwatt per centimeter squared. Pine needles were found to age prematurely at 0.000027. At short-term exposures of 0.05, children aged 8 to 17 experienced headache, irritation, concentration difficulties, and behavioral problems. 0.1 is the bow biology or building biology guideline for extreme concern. 1.0 produced sperm DNA fragmentation and a decrease in sperm viability in vitro. Also at 1.0, the science shows the following bodily effects can occur. Headaches, dizziness, fatigue, insomnia, chest pain, difficulty breathing, and indigestion. 2.5 saw altered calcium metabolism in heart muscle cells. 4.0, changes in the hippocampus affecting brain memory and learning. And at 6.0, DNA damage in cells. So, where are smart meters on this list? Electrical Power Institute in December 2010 measured a single ITRON smart meter with pulses up to 7.93 microwatts per centimeter squared. Our own testing indicated approximately 8.0 with one meter. These tests are at a close distance, approximately one foot away from the meter, but an infant's crib could be just as close on the other side of the wall where the meter or bank of meters are installed. Even though there are all these known health effects at levels far lower, Switzerland, Liechtenstein, and Luxembourg see fit to set the standard at 9.5. And China, Poland, and Russia, 10.0. This is the same level at which behavior has been altered, producing reflexes of avoidance following 30-minute exposures. A room of 12 smart meters, very common and even a conservative number in an apartment building, tested at 19.8 microwatts per centimeter squared. This is hundreds of times higher than levels which clearly indicate harmful effects. So how can utilities and governments get away with forcing these devices on everyone? This is how. In Canada and the US and several other civilized countries, the safety limit is set at 600 to 1000 microwatts per centimeter squared. This so-called safety limit is literally tens of thousands of times higher than levels which are known to damage health according to peer-reviewed published science. You might want to listen to the whole documentary titled 5G Apocalypse, The Extinction Event. It has a lot of very good information, and it's on the YouTube. Or, if you don't like the YouTube, it's on BitChute, so you don't have to give your business to Google. The setup for this entire weapon system has been under construction for the past five decades. They rolled out cell phones and the internet. They got us hooked on them, even dependent on them. 
They captured the regulators. They captured the corporations. They captured the politicians. They stole our money to build these systems through taxation and inflation, which is money printing. These are the foot soldiers of Satan, and they are on the move. Does the sun still shine? Are you still able to go to the movies and buy an ice cream? Sure, life continues, but normal life is coming to an end. These devices are spreading like the plague across not just urban areas, but suburban and rural areas as well, just like FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler said would happen. Like he said, must happen. It's almost as if Chairman Wheeler was prophetic, like he knew the end before the beginning. That's how it goes when the giant international conspiracy wraps up all its power players in its web of deceit that was built and designed by Satan, just for a time like this. But real prophecies, the ones that profess truth and not lies, are the ones inspired by God and not by Satan. They tell us the rest of the story that Satan does not want you or I to know. We have been looking at the parallel prophecies of Matthew 24, the letters of Revelation 2 and 3, and the seal judgments of Revelation 6. These are all talking about the same period of time and events. Matthew 24, when Jesus is explicitly telling his disciples the signs of the end times. Revelation 2, when Jesus is writing to the churches in the end times. And Revelation 6, where Jesus is showing John some future events of the end times. God gave us these prophecies for good in a time of evil, and he intended for us to read and understand them in the context of the end times. Unfortunately, we're running out of time for this episode, so we will have to pick up these prophecies first thing next episode and keep working through them. That episode will be a little bit reversed, so we will review the prophecy study first and then look at the news and analysis second, and then we'll be back on track. So if you missed any of these prophecy evaluations, take advantage to go back to the end of the last few episodes, starting at episode 29, and get caught up because they come in a package. They are all important and should be understood in sequence because they contain descriptions of our times and how we are to respond as loyal, obedient Christians who follow the commandments of Christ. But we are out of time for this episode, so please come back next episode in about two weeks to evaluate the next set of prophecies and get us up to date on the latest human events that are shaping this time in human history. I'll get it done, God willing. If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know. That's called being a bold, courageous, obedient Christian. If nothing else, at least give this episode a happy face, a 5 e star, or whatever else your app has to encourage others to listen. Pound that rating button for every episode. We are fighting the forces of evil here, and we need you. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, Pandora, Samsung Podcasts, and Podchaser. Boom! We're everywhere! If you wish to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. Until next time, and for the foreseeable future, do not take any more bioweapon shots of any kind! This mRNA and bioweapon technology is reportedly being incorporated into every kind of, quote, vaccine, unquote, including the annual flu shots. These demonically influenced people are serious about what they're doing, and they are spiritually and psychotically committed. You can know for certain that they wouldn't have started a genocide unless they have the ability and intend to finish it. So stay away from those shots. That's just my advice.